Hey everybody, it's Gabe here. Just wanted to make a little note before we start the podcast. We're putting this episode out on September 10th, and the conversation with Jacob that you'll hear was recorded on August 23rd. The conversation I have with Carl was recorded about a week ago as of the release of this podcast. So if any of the numbers, especially the box office stats that we talk about, are a little bit out of date, that's why. Uh, other good news, we have a new memory card for recording our podcast, so now we can record up to 17 hours. Uh, God willing, hopefully we will never record something that long. We would not want to punish our listeners like that. Um, but we might be getting up there on the next podcast. We're in the middle of TIFF right now, and I am going to be seeing 19 movies uh, throughout the festival. I've already seen five of them, as well as seven short films. And I'm really looking forward to telling you all about them. Uh, anyway, that's long enough. I hope you enjoy the pod. Welcome to Ken and Ken Go to the Movies. I'm TV Ken, and joining me today, he's not dead. He's just having an existential crisis. It's philosophy, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. It's great <laughs> to be here. That is the voice of returning champion, Jacob Giesbrecht. It, you know, it's interesting. I Was the last time you were on the podcast, were we talking about The Matrix? Yeah, the last one that we did was the philosophy of The Matrix. Yeah, and which, by the way, our most listened to episode, uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out. That movie, or those movies, sorry, I should say, they're actually referenced quite a bit in Barbie, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Can't forget the other one. Yes, we're going to talk about Oppenheimer too. I, I, I found that interesting. The, the movies it reminded me the most of were, were The Matrix. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of parallels there. And then also a couple of direct references to it. Um, the newer Matrix. The newer Matrix. Because I think the newer Matrix was more about sort of identity construction. Mm -hmm. Whereas the original ones were really kind of just talking about like existential freedom and the two are related, but not exactly. There, but there's also the, in, in the Barbie movie, there's the, you know, the, the, she gets like the pill, the red pill, blue pill, uh, Birkenstock oh, high yeah, heel yeah, yeah. reference. And then there's also when, when she goes, um, into the lower levels of Mattel, there's a, the, the endless hallway from the matrix reloaded. <laughs> and then she goes into the room and it's kind of like the key maker scene i thought that yeah. was interesting um but anyway sorry we'll 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 get back to that maybe um i think you wanted to talk about barbie and feminism um angle of it well yeah so I'm not a feminist philosopher or anything so i wasn't really going to approach it from a feminist philosophy um but just basically kind of like political philosophy and mm -hmm. that's that's why i wanted to talk about oppenheimer as well because oppenheimer in contrast to barbie uh, was actually kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I thought that Oppenheimer was a political film, right? I mean, it was about uh, nuclear proliferation, mutually assured destruction. They were, there were scenes where they were in the government. They were talking about, um, you know, individual responsibility. Lots and lots of political discussion in the Oppenheimer movie. And compared to Oppenheimer... Barbie didn't seem at all political in that way. Uh, it, it, mm -hmm. it was ostensibly political because they used words like feminism and patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But 
Oppenheimer was talking about some really, really deep moral and political issues. You mm -hmm. know, if the Germans were developing a nuclear bomb, what was the responsibility of the Allies to develop their own? Um, was that something that, you know, they should have carried forward after the Germans apparently were going along the wrong track? Um, I don't know. Oppenheimer also said that, you know, they were going to save lives by bombing uh, Japan. Is that true? Only God knows. Um, but a lot of that then delved in some pretty interesting international policy, you know, uh, secrecy, all those things. Deeply, deeply political. And it was relatively straightforward in that sense, too. I thought that when you left that uh, theater, if you weren't, you know, just kind of wowed by the uh, size of the screen, if you got to see it in 70 millimeters, <laughs> um, God, it if looks you weren't so just good. wowed by it, <laughs> if you weren't wowed by that, you left the, the theater. I don't think you left the theater thinking that Oppenheimer was, you know, a god of a man. You, you left thinking he was human. He had human ambitions that in some ways shielded him from wrestling with the real ethical implications of what he was doing, while at the same time recognizing that all along he had a moral conscience. He was engaged politically in certain uh, liberal politics as well. And mm -hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why they were detailing that to some extent, not just because of the controversy with his connection with the communists, but also to show that, you know, he had a sense of moral responsibility. This wasn't something that just grew on him after, after the mm -hmm. fact, mm -hmm. after he developed the bomb. And that's a criticism uh, of him. And that brings him down to sort of a human level. And if you're making a film about the person who created the uh, means with which to destroy all of humanity... I think that's kind of a good place you want to put that legend. You want to bring him down, make him human. You don't want to make him seem like he's, you know, a legend, necessarily someone to be totally idolized, which I think he has been prior to this movie. I don't know what this is going to do to his reputation, but I hope we can have an appreciation for the complexity of the issue and the complexity of his character. And that, and so that, that was political. Mm -hmm. How the heck? Barbie wasn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and that's what baffled me so much by about the the whole conversation around Barbie that the the these you know right wing online commentators talking about it like it was some crazy feminist screed, and it was just like it was just kind of a fun movie about a doll. Like, really? I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, Gre Greta Gerwig's movies. I'll have all been, I mean, it, the fact that people would go in and be shocked that a movie by Greta Gerwig had feminist leanings is insane. I mean, her last two movies are named Lady Bird and Little Women. I mean, if you knew nothing about else about those <laughs> movies because you didn't see them, I mean, just, I, I, and we're talking about the person who wrote here. Well, let me play a little clip from Little Women. This, this is uh, something that she wrote. You know, I just, I just feel, I just feel like women, they, they have minds and they have souls as well as just hearts and they've got ambition and they've got talent as well as just beauty. And I'm so sick of people saying that, that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it, but I'm, I'm so lonely. 
So if you're blindsided by <laughs> by that by the Barbie movie, I don't know what to tell you really. I I, I don't. But, I don't it's know. also such a realistic perspective too, because mm-hmm. like like and that that's a great quote too to kind of capture Barbie. Because I think if you're gonna watch Barbie, you have to have a particular orientation, and we all have you know our political views, our our backgrounds that uh, bias us in some ways. But that doesn't mean you can't look at Barbie and appreciate it in a certain way. If you know what to expect, you know kind of how to view this. And if you go into it thinking that, you know, this is going to be a hard, man-hating movie, or it's going to be some sort of, like, you know, uh, left-wing, woke, feminist, whatever, you're not in a good position to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, I I just think that, like, this idea that some people put out there that the that the Barbie movie hates men is just like a purposeful misreading of the movie to me it feels like because like it has deep love for Ken and it wants the best for Ken and it wants the best for all the Kens so i <laughs> i i don't even know how you even come out with uh you know a, a reading like that of it yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I've heard some really brutal criticisms of criticisms. Like, Barbie is a movie... Barbie is a dumb person's idea of a smart movie. And, <laughs> like, that's a brutal statement because, like, the negative of that statement is only smart people think Barbie is dumb. And that doesn't leave any room for, like, a reasonable critique or mm-hmm. discussion uh, about whether or not you... Do- dislike it it's it's a bully critique and so there's got to be a way to transcend that where you can talk about it in your own authentic way without being worried that you're gullible or falling for a bad movie and like that's that's the difficulty of like what you do with this podcast is because i mean you guys you're not just judging films you're giving us a reflection of yourselves and the way that you think about art and that's Mm -hmm. scary sometimes too and when you try to shut that down by saying if you like this film you're stupid but at the same time, you know, those who have been, uh, you know, there's been the knockers and the boosters, the people who have been boosting this film, a lot of them too, I think also grossly misrepresent the movie as something that they say, it's man-hating and we love it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is interesting. We, we were talking about the, the political uh, leanings of both these movies. They both kind of... Uh, lean lean to the left i well i think you know oppenheimer's a bit of a new it's it's from oppenheimer's perspective the movie and you know oppenheimer was a left-leaning guy it seems so the the movie kind of takes that angle um i don't think so i don't think it took a liberal take i think it represented oppenheimer as uh as a liberal with some communist sympathies with which many people at that time did the the evils of Soviet communism have not really been totally, you know, fleshed out yet? Mm-hmm. Um, and they uh, say that during the movie. But they they say that later that you know once once I saw the way that the Soviets were implementing it, I, I fell out of line with the party. That's something that yeah. multiple characters say. Yeah. So I don't. But like, as far as like, you know, was this providing a leftist liberal view of whether or not we should have created the nuclear bomb. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it was very politically neutral. I think it was 
pretty strong analytic uh, commentary on political and, you know, uh, militaristic issues. Mm. But I didn't get a leaning in, in Oppenheimer, not necessarily. Yeah, I, I, as, I guess not. But, Bar- but Barbie, sure. Barbie, sure. Um, because I thought the movie, if you kind of think of it as being told, like, I, I swear, the, uh, the mom in the movie, American Ferrera? America Ferrera, yeah. America Ferrera, yeah. Um, I, I kind of think that, like, she was actually kind of the center of the narrative of the film. Like, this was kind of, like, she was the closest thing to the narrator. Mm-hmm. Well, besides and, Helen Mirren, who is... Well, literal narrator <laughs> in the movie, but it was basically her perspective of yes, things. yes, and like with with reference to Ken, like yeah, was was Ken just a just a douchebag, just a <laughs> just a soft incel boy who was uh, you know leaning on Barbie because he was you know sexually deprived or whatever. No, they didn't have anything to do with sex at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was the great thing about Barbie too. Is they just took away the genitals. I love that line when he's like, she's like, he's like, can I stay over tonight? And she's like, to do what? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing too. Like, okay. Yeah. You take, you strip away sex. Yeah, you, you strip away a lot. Like that's, that's true. But that makes it easy for Barbie to kind of get to, I think some of the more interesting parts about Ken was that like, he didn't really have much of a personality. Um, Barbie didn't really feel anything for him. And mm-hmm. why should she? Like yeah. he was, he was a bimbo. He was, he was a, he was an airheaded. I don't want to say douchebag. Cause he wasn't really douchey. Just maybe the way he was he, dressed. I don't he's, know. He's soft. He's soft at the core. Even, even when he's being, mean to Barbie when he comes back and makes the Mojo Doja Casa house. There's he's, you can tell he's doing it out of, out of hurt because he's, he's been wounded by Barbie, you know, not, not paying attention to him, but he still, he still loves Barbie. Yeah. That's the thing. It wasn't, Ken had no purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, he like absolutely not. He, he, very clearly articulated that he only lived and existed because of Barbie. Um, Not in a sexual way, obviously, but I think that kind of related to recognition. Um, Like he only saw himself as valuable in the eyes of Barbie. And even though like, I think the concept of recognition is pretty problematic philosophically, recognition is something that feels good. It feels mm-hmm. good when you're valued, when someone looks at you and thinks of you as, you know, someone who's worth something. And by the end, Barbie was trying to disabuse Ken of his need for recognition from her. But like all along, you know, Ken wasn't just this sad conservative boy representation that, you know, leftists, I think a lot of them watched at this, watch this film and just kind of like cackled at. Mm-hmm. I think Ken was, in the eyes of the writers at least, um, kind of the archetype of a good, liberated man who simply had no purpose in life and so latched onto the only thing that gave him meaning, which was Barbie. Um, and I think that's why Ken was so interesting because mm-hmm. his character development was, like, fascinating. Um, it was he, – he had a lot of conflict, and he was – 
confused and conflicted and lashing out in ways. And he was like along the whole like arc of his development was like discovering himself and just, and Ryan Gosling just nailed that role. Oh yeah. my God, he was born for it. Yeah. Seeing it again too. I was like, he, his dancing is so great in, in this movie. And I love the The second time around, I loved the musical number. The I'm just Ken. That, that song is yeah. amazing. It's so good. He had some of the, it's some of the best lines in the film too. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I'm a liberated man. I know it's not me to cry. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, I love, I loved, I laughed so hard at that. And like, like that was a joke, but at the same time, like, I'm, I'm, I take that actually as like an intentional line. I think mm-hmm. that was the point. He was a liberating man. He wasn't like oppressive to Barbie before he found patriarchy or anything like that. Um, and again, that was sort of a reactionary, uh, misguided, childish, very childish attempt to I'd kind of get revenge or get that recognition. Mm-hmm. And it was it was hilarious seeing him like slap himself in the face when he tried to <laughs> go for another kiss and constantly <laughs> misconstruing her advances. Yeah, see, th- th- and that's the core of the comedy in this movie I find is that it's, you know, that, that I'm a liberated man line. It's, it, it makes you laugh. It's a joke, but it's, it's a truth. Right. And, and there's so many bits in this movie where like, for example, when one of the Kens gets distracted by, uh, by one of the Barbies pretending that she's never seen the Godfather to try to get him to mansplain the Godfather. I was like, Oh man down, man down. Like I was just like, Greta Gerwig just stabbed me right in the heart. But they like, and then, you know, there's another one they get Ken to like explain, like over explain music. Right. And like, it's just like, there's so many jokes like that where it's like the joke, it's like, Oh, that joke's at my expense. But like I, it, you know, it's true. There's truth to it. Right. But, but if you, that's why I think orientation to this movie is important because it does touch upon some like sincere uh, issues and, you know, sentiments that are in the public that we hear a lot about in the media. That if you have an orientation towards this movie where you understand that it is joking and it is not attacking you and you mm-hmm. don't have to put up this kind of defensive reflex. You can appreciate it, but like this has to go for the whole movie. You can't just accept some parts. Like the idea that cogn- that the uh, cognitive dissonance is all that is needed to overthrow the patriarchy. Like that's also a playful caricature, because like if you think that the film is really being serious about that, you completely forgot how the movie started. Yeah. The movie started saying that it was they were like lampooning the idea that Barbie solved feminism. <laughs> yeah. and if you think that the point that the movie is trying to make is that all you have to do is watch the Barbie movie and you'll, you know, destroy patriarchy, <laughs> you're, missing, you're missing the point. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. This is kind of like, I, th- this movie has got kind of a, uh, a uh, anti-capitalism like bent to it. But also, yeah. at, at the same time, it is very much so a product of capitalism. It is selling you anti-capitalism uh, at certain points in the movie. It's, it's quite interesting. Exactly. And 
So I've heard this term used before. I don't know if I like it. I don't know if it works perfectly, and I'm not perfectly sure if I even understand it completely. But meta-postmodern as the, like, uh, I don't know if it's a philosophic term, if it's just good for art, but the idea being that um, a lot of uh, postmodern movies are about kind of deconstructing society in ways, showing flaws, but then meta-postmodern is kind of reflecting on the deconstruction itself. <laughs> right. Now, the problem with the meta-postmodern view is that it then doesn't really offer any kind of uh, vision or critique of its own other than to just critique a critique. And yeah, that's pretty meta. meta like. <laughs> but in this vein, if you can't take that perspective, it, it works for, for Barbie. Um, so... I, I think that's kind of a better take to have. This is not a political movie. It's a movie that comments on caricatures mm-hmm. of politics in a very fun and playful way that if you kind of just appreciate that for what it is and then recognize maybe maybe the point is that it's all just a little ridiculous in the end, but you know maybe there are... You obviously have to take things seriously, but maybe the movie Barbie is not the place with which to take seriously (laughs) these deep political issues. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, look, we can do that in like in the public sphere, in politics, Mm -hmm. but this is, this is art and it doesn't like art obviously is involved in politics in many ways, but like, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of the fun part about this. So this movie has made, 1.2 1.2 billion dollars and Oppenheimer the last time I check has made it's approaching a billion dollars so the movies are so back baby we are back I want you to tell me about how you saw Oppenheimer yeah so Oppenheimer uh I got I, I would say I got lucky because I've tried to see it a second time and I still cannot get tickets <gasps> For the 70 millimeter film, it's still sold out. I don't know how I got it when I did. My sister and her uh, now fiance, congratulations. Congratulations, Emma. Uh, <laughs> um, they got engaged while they were in Germany and then they came to visit me in Prague. And uh, the film that is like a 10 minute walk from my flat right now, it's in Flora. It is apparently the only cinema in all of Central Europe that has the 70 millimeter IMAX specs. It's crazy. I, I was looking at, like, I was watching a video where it's like a YouTube video about like Oppenheimer and 70 millimeter and it gave like a list and I was like, holy crap, that's the theater right down the street from Jacob. And it's like the only continental European yeah. location, like wild. Yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And just a few, and so it's been sold out, like, Mm-hmm. pretty much every single day I've looked, but somehow when my sister and her fiance came to visit, I did manage to get three tickets, but it was the second row up from the front. <laughs> that fucking screen, man, it was <laughs> So you you were like those those memes that people have taken from the front row of like his chin like fucking massive and like his forehead yeah. small. It was... It was a little disorienting at first to watch. I had been in that theater before and watched something like on that screen. So I mm-hmm. knew that it was going to be big, but um, it was not 
incredibly comfortable. I want to see it again, but I want to see it from like a comfortable vantage point. Yeah. But uh, it, it's still sold out, so I'm I'm not surprised that it's still raking in some cash. But because uh, Barbie was uh, like what PG or PG thirteen, mm-hmm. it didn't surprise me that Barbie was going to like outcompete Oppenheimer. Yeah. Uh, so. And and I think that just the lesson here is that uh, more movies uh, need to be made that appeal to women. Uh, <laughs> I think that the box office <laughs> has just been just so full of like action superhero movies for the longest time. But why like, why did why did action hero movies not appeal to women? Especially they do. They do like too. Marvel or Wonder Woman. Or... They do too. But I mean, just you know, having like some women filmmakers uh, in there too. I mean, in some of the Marvel movies are made by women too. But the Marvel system is just. You know, it doesn't really matter who the director is. It doesn't really affect the movie very much. Uh, <laughs> That's true. It's just kind of like a machine that just keeps churning out movies. Um, but so there's, I mean, hopefully hopefully that's the lesson that Hollywood takes from it and not, I don't know, it seems like the lesson they're taking from it is that they need to make more toy movies, which I'm not sure <laughs> that that's the answer <laughs> They've announced that they're yeah. making like Hot Wheels movies and like Polly Pocket movies, and I'm like, I don't think that that's the thing that people connected with here. But if if, if logic, if that logic truly works, I, I'm I'm worried about what's going to happen with nuclear proliferation after Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> I man, so just getting back to the way Oppenheimer looks, it looks. I did have a good seat. Luckily, there's plenty of. Uh, IMAX. I just happen to live in an area where there's plenty of IMAX screens of uh, Oppenheimer. I guess I, I guess IMAX is a Canadian company, so that might have something to do with it. Um, oh. But man, it looked so good in 70 millimeter. I saw it at the Vaughn uh, Cineplex. It looked just great. I mean, Hoyt Van Hoytema is one of the best working cinematographers right now, and this movie was just stunning. That I thought that the edit was really good too, considering it's like what is it like a three hour long movie? Yeah. That it just, I mean, in in the last hour, it kind of loses momentum a little bit after the bomb, uh, bomb testing, but that's more of the screenplay and not the edit. The edit just clips like it's it's a really well paced movie, uh, and man. Killian Murphy's performance. Holy crap, man. Yeah. yeah. Just amazing. That, it's easily my favorite performance of the year so far. Um, and Oscar? I, I, right now, it's looking to me, I, I would say so. Um, lots of good movies coming out this fall. And, well, we'll see what's still coming out or not. The writer's strike and the actor's strike has thrown a little bit of a wrench in it because the studios, not that the mo- the movies that are going to come out this year obviously already finished, but just the studios want actors to be able to promote movies, right? And the actors yeah. can't be on the promotion trail while they're on strike. So we'll see. There's some word that Dune might get postponed, so I'm kind of worried about that. Um, but there were some movies out of cans, without getting back to the awards thing, there's some movies that were uh, really, really hyped out of Cannes. Um, obviously, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, Leonardo mm-hmm. DiCaprio, always, always in 
awards contention. Um, and then a couple more movies. Uh, but typically foreign actors don't usually get nominated. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall um, out of France uh, won the Palme d'Or, I believe. And then uh, The Zone of Interest uh, uh, was really hyped out of Cannes too. So we'll we'll see. But I, I would, my vote would be for Killian Murphy right now. And also just going back to the performances in Barbie too. I think Margot Robbie is getting a nomination for playing Barbie. This is kind of an underrated performance. I think, well, maybe, maybe it's not because $1.2 billion worth of people have won, seen this movie, but she's having to do a lot here, much more than you would think for playing a doll. She's basically crying the entire movie while also <laughs> delivering like, a nuanced comedic performance. It's pretty impressive. It, she did do a very good job. I like, I do kind of hate to say that Ken was the main character and stole the show. Um, I think that's, that's a common sentiment. Not, yeah. But it, it's, it's almost not fair to Margot Robbie though. Cause you're right. She did do a great job. Um, but like the only problem I had with the Barbie movie was those kind of like flashback moments or whatever the hell those were. I don't know what was going on. The moments where she'd like see into other people's memories uh-huh. and then have like some sort of vision of all girls in like at the end there, came. yeah. There's like a little montage the of just women. Was, what the hell was that? That was for one kind of distracting and two kind of like I, I didn't like that and and she did what she could with those scenes, mm-hmm. but because I had no idea what was going on, I had no idea if she was like, like I didn't know what she was feeling when she was right in those scenes. Like right. it, part of that last scene was like her being told to feel what, what, what is, what is that? Okay. Feet. Like I don't, I hated that. So what I think the movie is riffing on is the movie Wings of Desire, which is a uh, German movie by Wim Wenders from, I think, 1987, about an angel who watches over Berlin, and he loves humanity so much that he decides to become human himself. And I, I think that that's what it's riffing on, is that in that movie he you know, realizes how difficult being human is, but that part of what makes it beautiful is the, the difficulty of it. And, you know, and that, and also just that it's the the impermanence is part of the beauty too, which is, that's what I think, what was Ruth says to her, right? The, the ideas live forever, humans, not so much. Yeah. That, that I, think I grasped the idea that she was going to be embracing the messiness again, going back to the whole idea that this, she was living in a characterized world, uh, a world that wasn't real, that was oversimplified. And she wanted to embrace the messiness, which was humanity. Now that kind of doesn't work in the sense that when she went into the real world, it was also just a stereotype. Basically wasn't, wasn't actually that much less characterized as Barbie land. That's, but that's the thing that doesn't work for me the most yeah. in this movie. It was it was just more parodies and it was it was 
yeah, just satire in the real world. And so when she wants to embrace this messiness, which I get and I appreciate it because she was existentially conflicted Mm -hmm. and she was, you know, really, really thinking. And it was like, oh, very interesting. But the real world was a place that clearly real thought was still not happening in. And so that was a disjointedness of that film uh, for me. Yeah, I, I thought that the everything that's in Barbie Land in this movie works so well, and you know the it's kind of the embracing the artifice of it, right? That that it's mm-hmm. that it's not real, and that you know all these silly things are are like this way because it's an invented doll play place, right? But yeah, that's the the thing that distracts me in this movie is that when she goes to the real world. And especially the scenes in the Mattel offices, it's like just as goofy in the Mattel office as it is in Barbie land, which doesn't make any sense, really. It's like she's in an invented world and then she goes into a goes to the real world. It's it's, exactly. And so I'm not sure. I, I don't fully understand what they were going for I, with making the real world just as silly as Barbie land. And that's why I think like, again, you just have to look at as someone playing with Barbies, like Greta Gerwig is sitting in her childhood room playing with Barbies. And then she's writing it as if Barbie goes into the real world. It still remains in the imagination of whoever is, you know, manipulating or narrating this like, this film, mm-hmm. um, but that means that the, that that the way they concluded the film was kind of a problem. Like that was it, it fell flat in that in that way. That it was it was just I don't know how you finish the movie then if if that's where you're trying to push Barbie towards being like the most real character in the entire movie, with the exception of the the mom and her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you finish that if if she's not really if her realness is not going to be appreciated or actually like possible in the fake real world like what (laughs) it kind of just hits a wall there yeah but i mean that's really the only hang-up i have with this movie i think the rest of it is oh yeah same yeah is fairly fairly flawless in terms of a you know a studio made comedy which you know we've been getting a lot of those this year it's been it's been a good year for uh for comedies and i'm really excited uh canadian filmmaker emma seligman has a comedy coming out uh next week too that i'm quite excited for um anything else yeah, you want to was... talk about with these movies jacob mm, anything else we didn't uh... do you want to do you want to talk more about oppenheimer i we, i guess we've been mostly talking about barbie here well, the thing is, I only saw Oppenheimer once, and I saw it, I saw the late screening, so it started at like <laughs> ten, <laughs> and I was definitely not falling asleep, not at all. But uh, I saw it once, and I can, I'm pretty sure that because I was so close to the screen, uh, I can't honestly say I saw the <laughs> whole film because I was probably only seeing small sections of it at any given time. <laughs> Actually, there's one there's one thing I wanted to mention about Oppenheimer, and it's my main hang-up with Oppenheimer. I think Oppenheimer, to me, is a five-star movie, and I and to me, it's Christopher Nolan's best movie. I, I think 
hands down. Uh, it, it, yeah. it's, it is phenomenal. It is, it is shocking how good it is to me. But the one hang up I have with it is that it's the same hang up that I've had with other Christopher Noel movies in the past is that the man cannot write women to save his life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell he was thinking with Florence Pugh's character in the, in this movie, but um, she's just kind of like a really stereotypical, like, I don't know, like basket case woman. Yeah, she was unhinged. It's and it's like that wasn't even that clear though. Too, it was like it's like very unnuanced. And um, Emily Blunt, who's one of like the great actors working right now, um, she doesn't really get to like show like really stunt on us until like the final act of the movie, when she suddenly out of nowhere gets to be like really cool for one scene in the <laughs> interrogation. Um, I don't know. I mean, you can argue that it's because the film is, you know, about Oppenheimer from basically from his perspective that because he didn't seem to respect women as, as a person that the movie kind of takes his, his point of view on that and kind of minimizes the roles of, of women. But I don't know. To me, it was just like, I would have liked a little bit more for them yeah but like by more what do you mean by more because i'm not necessarily disagreeing i think the idea that the women in the film played a pretty subordinate role to most things that happened is kind of a reflection of how things happened more or less probably in the real world although how can i know that in terms of oppenheimer's life um, but the general forces that were moving the storyline along were, you know, massive political, uh, national security type, national secrecy issues. Um, and so, yeah, his, his marriage in the grand scheme of, you know, possible uh, human extinction is <laughs> indeed kind of a minor plot point. So, to you, like what role, what bigger role could they have played? I, I mean, yes. I mean, there, there were so few women involved in the actual, uh, Manhattan project. I mean, there's a, f- we see a few, um, but all, all the, all the major, I guess, uh, people involved were all men, but I don't know. It was just, it was my, my problem was more with just, Emily Blunt's character, you know, she we kind of get this reveal at the end that she's a total badass, right? And maybe mm-hmm. maybe throughout the movie, maybe there's little sprinklings of that, but I just would have liked to have that established earlier on and maybe seen it a little bit more instead of just purely relegating her to be to, you know, holding a baby most of the movie. I don't That's know. Fair. That's fair, but like the thing is, like, and I know that that yes, that is what women at that time were. That was what is was expected of them by society was to you know shut up and hold the baby. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like I don't know what that would have done to like 
tell the story any more or less richly, given that it was already three hours long. And like, honestly, like when I was, when I left the theater and thinking like, who would have I, who would I have liked to see a little bit more was like Einstein. Mm. Uh, I would have loved to see more Einstein. That was kind of a cool, uh, almost cameo. Uh, I refuse to, I refuse to know who even, I didn't, I didn't look it up who played Einstein. I'm just, in my mind, that was Albert Einstein who was in the movie. So, <laughs> uh, but and like a lot of characters, I would have loved to like have uh, a lot more uh, development from, mm-hmm. and I would have loved to see that. Like Rami Malek kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, like, he's that, in, was, like, that was a real plug too. And like, That's... why? <sighs> The same thing kind of happens with his character that happens with Emily Blunt's character where it's like, he's like, just like kind of there. And then all of a sudden he just like shows up at the Senate hearing and he's just like, and that guy's a fucking asshole. And let me tell you about how every scientist hates him. And it's just like, Oh, And, and like, it was a cool scene. But they didn't really build him up at all, except for yeah. that, like, <laughs> we saw him, like, what, once before in a kind of shady way? And because he's Rami, Rami Malek, you're like, all right, so he's clearly not going to be in this for just that scene. But <laughs> I think he's in two scenes. He's at the, the when they're making some type of, I don't know, reactor under a football field scene. He's there, and then he's at, like, a hotel trying to get Oppenheimer to sign, like, a anti- nuclear proliferation document or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I've only seen it once and I lost a lot of the uh, characters that were even in the film. Just now I'm jogging (laughs) my memory about like all the people that were in it. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. (laughs) I know every single role in this movie is like, either like a, a lead, a normally a lead actor, right? Playing a supporting role or like some of the best character actors that are working right now in like really minor roles. It's, it's really good. Every single, every single role is filled with someone who's immensely talented. Yeah. It was a stacked cast. And so that's the thing. I was getting kind of lost in like how many people I was seeing and they were only in it for such a short period of time, too. Like, I would have loved to see all of these incredibly interesting people get developed. And, I'm, I mean, I've seen, you know, YouTube videos and stuff, various scientists on the Manhattan Project and that sort of thing. And I had to, kept, I had to like, remind myself that it's, like, I'm interested very much in, like, the whole science and philosophy behind this whole project. Mm-hmm. But the movie wasn't about that, so I can't criticize it for not being about, you know, the science or <laughs> that. It was it was about Oppenheimer. Yeah. I I wonder that too. Like um everyone in the audience that I saw because I saw Barbie and Oppenheimer opening day, everyone seemed to be, you know, over the moon uh, in after both screenings ended. People I mean, obviously people are going and seeing Oppenheimer. I wonder how many people will sit down and watch Oppenheimer, you know, post-theatrical run besides, like, you know, people who love Christopher Nolan. I don't know if, like, the politics of the 1940s appeals to a lot of people. But the thing is, I think it's going to age well because it was as, I don't want to say truthful because we don't know truth here, but 
it was an honest, I think, mm. account of the various issues pertaining to Oppenheimer's life. You know, it wasn't a perfect documentary. I'm sure there was lots of embellishments and, and that sort of thing. But uh, I think it was, I think it can stand and age well as a good example of a good biographical uh, film about mm-hmm. a person. For me, this kind of sets that standard, especially in terms of how it ended up portraying Oppenheimer, as I already said. Um, but is it going to be like a cult classic or am I going to watch it lots afterwards? Uh, maybe to refresh my memory and mm-hmm. because it's an interesting film. But I think personally, I'm going to be watching Barbie many yeah. more times in my life than <laughs> I will watch Oppenheimer. Yeah. And that's not because it's necessarily like a better film. It's just kind of more fun and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's like, the last like act of the movie is just basically about like McCarthyism and like, <laughs> like the anti-communist <laughs> politics of the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties in, in America, and I, I don't know how many people that actually appeals to, but uh, oh, it, I loved I was it. By it but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know that's a. I was just like, I don't know how many people are actually big enough, like you know. U.S. politics nerds to actually care about this, and I think that that's the that was the intention behind the 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 corniest moment in the movie, which is when uh, JFK gets name dropped. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw that coming from a mile away. It's like a young senator. I was like, oh, here we go from Massachusetts. <laughs> yep, it's gonna be him. And it's like you just you can just leave it at that. A young senator from Massachusetts. You know, enough of us will get it. And then it's like, what's his name? John F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't, it was what what a movie that was. Um, what did you think? So I, I've heard mixed opinions on the speech scene after the bomb drops. To me, it was the most powerful moment of the movie, and it's haunting the way the sound design of that scene is. Yeah just terrifying i i don't know how else to say it. it's like almost like well, it I becomes like a horror goal. movie for uh yeah. a scene there no it, that was i think that was the goal and i thought that scene was also probably the most uh i don't know abstract like it had the most kind of like odd symbolism mm-hmm. and uh fiction like because they were he was i, I don't know if I can remember if there were any other scenes where like non real things were being portrayed on the film. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. he was, he had, he was having visions of of death and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, that was a pretty powerful scene. And I think that was trying to represent like the conflict. He he had a very clearly, he had a very like uh, front stage, um, uh, you know, support of what they were doing, you know, rallying the troops and making it seem like they were doing a good thing. But underneath the service, he was deeply conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a really was, strong vis- visual representation of how haunted he is by the choices that he made. Yeah. And, you know, whether or not that's actually how he felt, and that's why I don't want to say this is like a truthful movie, because that's probably not how he felt in the moment. I'm sure he had to, Mm -hmm. 
I'm sure in some ways he really believes he did believe what he was doing. And that was probably well portrayed too, but um, like, I don't think he could, I think this was accurate in the sense that it was portraying that he could not escape what he had done. Mm-hmm. Um, even if he wasn't recognizing that in the moment, even if in you know real life in that moment, he wasn't recognizing it. Like he couldn't escape it. He was at that moment, he was like guilty. He was mm-hmm. like deeply, deeply guilty, whether or not he wanted to uh, face up to it or saw it in the moment. But it was like the moment where his, his guilt sort of, uh, you know, implicated all of humanity. And so that, that I think was a real crucial scene for that reason. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to mention before we go <laughs> to end on a very, uh, very bleak <laughs> note. <laughs> now for something completely different. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything else to say, but I hope that, uh, I hope that Oppenheimer uh, gets the recognition it deserves for, you know, because I don't know the first thing about, you know, good cinematography or, or anything like that, but I hope it gets the accolades it deserves. But more so, I kind of hope that Barbie can be retrieved for the movie that it is. I don't like how it's feeding itself into a sort of cultural politic thing, which happens a lot now, but I think the movie was like escaping that in a way, and it should be appreciated for that. Mm-hmm. It's not that, that I just want people to think about it in a certain way. I, like, I genuinely believe that this is what the movie was trying to do. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking, like, everything I say could be perfectly wrong, and I will perfectly accept that. If Greta Gerwig comes up to me and says, Jacob, you're full of shit. This is just totally off the mark. <laughs> this was indeed just a you know, capitalist ploy to get everyone to buy Barbies. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll admit I was wrong, that there wasn't any actual, like, you know, real merit to these things I'm saying, and I'm just, you know, <laughs> philosophically masturbating. <laughs> yeah. If, if that's the case, I'll accept that. But I, I think this is a good way to, like, appreciate, this is an orientation that, you know, I think you'd appreciate the movie more if you don't think of it as attacking anyone. Yeah, because it's not. It's it's a comedy. It's a comedy. Appreciate it as a comedy. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. I always think of the line from uh, the one uh, Bo Burnham song from Inside the the backlash to the backlash to the thing that's just begun. It's <laughs> sometimes hard not to react to you know just to, just to take something on the face for what it is instead of you know, not taking in all the cultural noise around, around a, a, a film or, you know, music or whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. But a very good summer for films for me, at least I was very happy with it. It has Everything been. That has, come out. Is, has there been anything else that you've uh, seen and enjoyed? Um, yeah. Spider-Man uh, or the, Spider-Man into uh, or into uh, the Spider-Man. The <laughs> I get so jumbled up all these Spider-Man movies. I'm like, no way home. No wait, no, that's the live action one. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm getting, I'm getting lost. And that one, especially, mostly just for its like art direction. There again, I don't know much about this, but I was watching it and I was just dis- not distracted, but like 
in awe of what was going on with all those Gwen scenes and the, oh my god! I, I think you've already talked about this on your podcast, so I won't like get those into it. water. I, I mean, just I think awesome. I think maybe I mentioned this, but man, those watercolor backdrops in it Gwen's world—it was so beautiful, stunning. I couldn't and believe yeah. it. I couldn't believe that yeah. this movie, like the first movie had amazing art direction and I couldn't believe how much better this one was. Yeah. And like, they were really mixing it up now. Like I don't, you know, if you're an epileptic, I'm pretty sure you can't watch the, any of these. Movies. Yeah. Like that's like, even for me, like in some cases I was like, calm, calm the fuck down. Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, like I get it. And those those moments when you got the watercolors was like a very calming yeah. <laughs> moment where you could kind of like get a bit of a reprieve from all the flashing scenes. Um, but like that was wild. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, i I saw Ninja Turtles recently, and I thought that it also it had a lot of movies are headed in this direction now, where we've. We seem to have gone away from the kind of trying to make uh, animated movies look real, and we've kind of it, it seems to be being, being brought back to you know more more of a drawn uh, style. Um, Ninja Turtles also looked great. It didn't have the varied art styles of uh, Spider Verse, but to me, this the story did did not connect the same way in the Ninja Turtles movie that it, that it does in the Spider-Verse movie. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm interested to see if, if this is a trend that keeps going for animated movies or what it it might. I thought I heard something that was kind of interesting uh, with AI creeping into art in various forms that's obviously a lot of not a lot but that's a part of the writer's strike going on right now um but uh the way that we were uh doing paintings changed when photography came in because realism was something that you could actually do better just with a with with a photograph Mm -hmm. and so various forms of abstraction that was something that was still within the the domain that humans could only do sort of took off at that point. Now I know I'm, I'm not an art historian. I know there's many, many influences that create the uh, abstract expressionist movement and all these sorts of things, but that was an influence of technology on the way that we were doing art. And with AI now coming in, um, the question is in what ways is that going to influence the way we do art? Because now, um, like from what I've seen, we can have some pretty interesting, uh, pretty realistic in some ways too, uh, representations of, of art. And what way is that going to force art direction in film? Like, is that, is Spider-Man going to be sort of, uh, you know, the, the standard now when we're going to be having, you know, watercolors? I don't know. Is that something that AI can produce really well? I don't know, but I'm sure that that it's going to force us in a certain direction. And I think that's kind of interesting. There's been, um, I don't know if you know who the Corridor crew is. They're a YouTube channel. They've been messing around with, they did a short film called, um, I don't know, Rock, Paper, Scissors to the Death or something like that, or Anime Rock, Paper, Scissors, where they film themselves on green screens kind of, acting like anime characters and then they used uh ai to 
turn the video of themselves into anime style uh, characters oh. of the scene. And then they, you know, put like an Unreal Engine 5 like background behind them and then change that to, you know, the same uh, art style as they, they, they specific, they use some specific reference of this one artist or something. And so that's interesting. I mean, it's kind of, you know, showing a direction that it could go in. Um, I don't know if I like that or not. <laughs> they're, it, has to get, it has to get good, though. That's the thing. Yeah. We're in, like, the, the novice stages right now where people's hands don't make any sense and things like that. So. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm interested in, like, seeing, like, knowing what these AI things could do, but at the same time, I'm, I don't like it. <laughs> like, I, I don't like the idea of it being taken out of, of human hands, right? Because well, that's the thing too. There's no reason it has to, like, infiltrate, uh, like, film. It doesn't yeah. have to. We can just say no. So uh, the, a lot of you know tech people, tech bros, you know, kind of always champion the the march of of uh, technology and and this kind of you know never ending development as if it's inevitable. But it's not inevitable. It, it doesn't have to insert itself into films and in which way, you know, it might like, is it going to make film better? That's, that's the question. And if we appreciate film for its ways of expressing uh, humanity in a Mm -hmm. certain, you know, artistic uh, vein, then, you know, is that going to be useful for that? I don't know, but, you know, we may have to experiment a little bit with it. It's, it, I, I, AI is really fucking hard to talk about. <laughs> I know. And I'm really talking out of my ass right now. I know. So. And that's, that's the thing is that we have, it's, it's so new and it's so changing every day that it's like, you know, you have a conversation about it and then, you know, month later, that's, that's an outdated you know, you're talking about way outdated things, you know. Yeah. It, you know, you look at the the AI photo creation models, you know, the ones mm-hmm. that I messed around and generated, you know, eight months ago. Like, oh, wow, look, that looks cool. That looks stupid now. Stupid and ancient. They're generating like <laughs> way better ones now. It's, it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like I'm talking out my ass too. Anytime anyone starts talking about AI, they're talking out their ass. Yeah. That's, that, that's, that's the one thing that we can say. Like, I, I've, I've got several books about AI, and none of them have taught me really anything. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob, I, I hope you're, you're currently shirtless right now in, in your apartment in Prague. Uh, is Sweat it, is dripping down my back. Is it, uh, <laughs> how hot is it there right now? Well, today's the coolest day we've had in like two weeks, and it's like thirty degrees. Oh my god, uh, twenty nine degrees. Yeah, and no air conditioning. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, so is like it, I know. Europe still. I yeah, I know a lot of European countries because there there's no air conditioning. Uh, Pro is Prague very much so like that too? No AC anywhere. Not many places, and like every once in a while, like if you go into a mall, there will be like a very weak little 
gust of <laughs> slightly cooler breeze. They're it's just like, like they have. They're basically just like circulating the air in and out, but not but necessarily yeah, air thing. conditioning it's, it. <laughs> it's like even on the buses, they say they're air conditioned, but like it's so weak it's so light it's that, not like, like the it's ultra powerful north american air conditioning no no for some reason in canada we've decided that our air conditioners need to be able to like create winter and yeah so that's what i'm used to when i when i hear of ac like if it's 36 degrees out in prague and you get on like the tram or something and it's <laughs> advertises air conditioned it would be like maybe 30 degrees because it's just trying to fight <laughs> fight the environment outside but in canada if you i don't know i would expect that i would go into a building and be blasted with frosty yeah. air yeah that's right. i rode the train to uh the go train to the blue jays game in in july and the air conditioning wasn't working in the train car i was in and people after like an hour of being on this train, because we're so used to just it being Arctic. Anytime we go into anywhere in Canada, people were like cranky and like people started arguing with each other. Just <laughs> random strangers just started arguing. And I was like, Oh my God, this is what happens. Do you take air conditioning away from us in Canada? It's like people just start like fighting each other in, in the, in the train cars. That's true. You got to learn to acclimate though. You just got to learn to like get comfortable being like slimy all the time. Yeah. Yeah, so try to slow down your breathing, and, you know, just accept that it's going to be super muggy for the next while. Cold showers several mm. times a day. There you go. All right. Thanks so much for coming on again, Jacob. We'll have to have you on again soon. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I really like these movies. I'm happy to talk about them. And Man, yeah. movies are so back. I, I, I mentioned that these movies have done well. I have... Going to Barbenheimer on opening day, I have never seen a theater packed like that in probably a decade or more. Like it was, it was pandemonium in there. It was like barely room to walk around in the lobby. It was crazy. That's great to know. That's great to know. There's that big of a of a demand for it still. All right, um, we're going to now. Uh, I think we're going to bring Carl on, and we are going to rank. Christopher Nolan's movies. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back now with Carl. Uh, we're going to talk about... Yeah, why wasn't I invited to the original because podcast? Because you still haven't seen Barbie. Yeah, yeah. Well. It's been out for a month I'm and gonna a half. Wait. At this point, I'm just going to wait for it to come out on... And you still haven't seen it. Um, I'm just going to wait for it to come out on uh, streaming. I'll rent it. Yeah, you didn't go see it because you hate women. What? <laughs> no, I didn't go see it. I just had no one to see it with. You went to see it without me and then... <laughs> And then it just happened every time I was go I wanted to go see it. You wanted to go see something else, and then I just kind of. I feel like I haven't been. And then I felt kind of awkward, to be honest with you, going by myself to crowds with the way like so many like teens and kids. You know what I mean? No. When you like going to horror movies, which is that exact crowd. No, it's a different for this. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I do want to see it. I and I will see it. Uh, but I'm, at this point, I'm just gonna wait till it comes out on uh, streaming, which is already available. I'm pretty sure I can watch it. I can rent it. Should it should so. be coming to streaming soon. I don't yeah, think yeah. that we have an exact date yet. Um, 
But anyway, we wanted to talk about Christopher Nolan and yeah. Oppenheimer. First, let's get your thoughts on on Oppenheimer. What did you think? You know, it's been some time now since I've seen it, and I, I'm I'm struggling to really think about how much I I did like it. It was good. Um, I'm surprised at how many people enjoyed it. I thought a lot of people wouldn't understand some of the historical background, like, you know, McCarthyism and that kind of stuff. I think it was integral into really understanding what was happening in the movie. I don't know if some people just didn't really know what was happening in the movie and just liked it anyway. Cause I've had that when I've watched the movie, like that, I didn't really understand the historical parts of it, you know, mm-hmm. why this was, but I still enjoyed the movie. So it's just an enjoyable movie in all in all. Um, yeah, it wasn't, I don't think it's his best film. Uh, it's historically beautiful though. Like if you really want, and I love really realistic historical movies and this hits the nail on the head in terms of like that super ultra realistic uh, depiction of history. Um, so yeah, uh, overall really good. I think I gave it four out of five, which is pretty strong. I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. one of the better movies of the year. Um, again, though, it's not his best and uh, I'm always rating it, his movies against his movies, right? It's a bit. It, it does drag. That was my biggest complaint. It it definitely drags. There's moments where it picks up and you're really into it, and then all of a sudden, there's like a good twenty twenty minute half hour that you're just like, okay, let's let's move on. Let's, <laughs> let's get to the point. You know what I mean? I I didn't really feel that way. I mean, in the third hour, I guess I I felt like, oh wow, this has been going on for a long time. But I thought that the edit was so well done, and that it just kept on. The momentum just kept on. Yeah, it would repick up. That's true. So I, I didn't feel like there were any lulls in the in the momentum. I, I I thought that it it kept on moving at a very consistent pace. Um, but uh, I there and there were a couple of parts that I was like, "There's no way no, this was Nolan's idea." Or like, um, at the very end when he goes, "Which senators voted against me?" And he goes, "Uh, three senators, sir." Uh, what uh, a young uh young senator out of uh was it Massachusetts. Massachusetts, Kennedy, and then it's like it's it stops for silence, and it's just like there's no I don't even know if it was true. First of all, whether Kennedy did or did not vote for whoever that guy was, um, to be you know in the cabinet or whatever he, they he were must with. have. I don't know why, but but the way they that did that, I was like that was such a like reveal moment. You know what I mean? And I was like that's not a Nolan. I yeah. don't know. It's an odd. I didn't like that. There was some. There was some. There. I can't. I wish I had done. We had done this podcast all earlier because I had a bunch of those in my head where I was like, I remember this particular scene, yeah. and I was like, that's such a non-Nolan like thing. Yeah. And there was a few of those, and I can't remember specifically. I'd have to rewatch it. But that was one that stuck out. And I love Kennedy. I, you know, I'm a big Kennedy fan. Mm-hmm. But even I was like, rolled my eyes. I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as tacky as the Hitler reveal at the end. No, of the No, but Kingsman, that was meant to be funny. Yeah. Whereas this is meant to be serious, and so I that don't know kind of if that ma- was meant to be funny. I or think not. It, you know, of course, I think it was a, it was it was it was making fun of the whole idea of like those, you know. I don't think so. I think that Kingsman movie took itself very seriously. No, not at all. The, anyway, we're, we can the, we're not talking the about the King's Man. I wasn't a big fan of that movie either that way, but I terrible. definitely think that they meant that as a joke. But all right, so we are. What, wait, well, uh, what did you give that movie? What did you give Oppenheimer? Yeah, five stars. Five stars. You thought it was perfect? Yep. Really? Okay. Well, I mean, not, it was good. It was a really good per- movie. It's not perfect, but it's just it's it's the culmination of a bunch of really talented artists oh, yeah. and actors coming together, and they're all firing at their at on all cylinders at their very best. Again, I want to make it clear. I really enjoyed the movie. It was a really good movie, and and the and the scenes coming up to the bomb being released for the first time. Mm-hmm. That whole 
scenario of like all the cuts and all the you know them get preparing and yeah all that stuff and like when the, when it was about to be dropped and all that stuff was just brilliant like that whole everybody was on the edge of their seats even people who i saw were bored at the theater mm-hmm. were like all right you know everyone was awake and like super and and part of that too part of that tension building up to that too yeah. was uh the score by Ludwig Göransson, which I thought was just amazing, yeah, and it really, it really heightened the tension uh, of the movie quite a bit. I think it's also impressive the ability to tell that much story, even even though it was a long movie, the ability to tell that much story um, of someone's life in that much detail, mm-hmm. with cutting back to so many different, you know, college, traveling, building a bomb, his relationships with all these people. His relationships with the government, all you know, all that stuff, and then also cutting to other characters' point of views and world, you know, I just think it was brilliantly mapped out. Like that kind of complex mm-hmm. movie. I mean, he's right. He he basically took a biography, a giant fat book. I was probably mm-hmm. like you know, th- a thousand plus pages, and may and then condensed that into a visual movie. I think that's I could not. I don't know how you even start with that, right? Because it's like a how do you tell someone's life story in that that's that complex from. Mm-hmm childhood all the way to you know his, basically he's an old man and, and he built the nuclear bomb like how do you what do you choose to keep and uh, yeah and they did a, such a brilliant job i think even the people who wrote the biography were really really impressed yeah yeah no no i mean always always remixing the his order of scenes right and the he, you know he's you never very, get lost he's very meticulous about yeah. the way he yeah w- what you said the way he maps out the the layout of his movies and like a moment hits that's in the past kind of makes sense mm-hmm. even though and then you kind of somehow know it's in the past without him being having like subtitle you know 1932 and that you know what I mean he doesn't mm-hmm. do any of that you just kind of know you're just navigating through this life and you kind of know where you are without any real cues to where you are and I thought that was really brilliant mm-hmm. he's a master at that I mean we and he does that so well in all his movies all his movies do you know that weaving and um yeah, I, I think a common theme of a lot of his movies is time and memories. He he plays with that a lot. Um, it's been a consistent theme yeah. throughout his entire career. And, and I think I think it's also an important movie, and in the essence of where we are historically right now with things like uh, AI, it's like just because we can, should we? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that movie touches on that, saying that okay, well, if we don't. Will someone else do it? Like, if if America doesn't yeah. invest in AI, will China? And if China beats us, what does that mean for us? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was the same with the nuclear question. It's like, should we be doing this? Probably not. But if we don't, will the Soviets or will the Rush or will the uh, Germans? Well, actually, in this case, it was more will the German, will the Nazis mm-hmm. get there first? And if they would, of that would have been terrifying. That well, would have been world-ending. And then immediately, as soon as World War II ended, it was now the Soviets should get we there. bomb? Should we bomb the Soviets before they can get the <laughs> yeah. bomb? And I and, and there I were, mean, there were there were high up high-ranking military officials who were like, "Yeah, let's just attack them now, like preemptively before they yeah. be, they can become a power." It's a crazy time in history. I mean, we're talking about AI. How scary that is! Imagine how scary the development of the nuclear bomb would have been. Yeah. The idea that you could just annihilate them, and we had, you know, there's no idea of what's going to happen in the next, you know? <laughs> yeah. Annihilate. I mean, the AI is scary in its that, own right, too. That, and I think that's why the movie speaks to so many people right now, because we're in the same type of kind of like, should we, should we not? If we don't, what would happen? If we do, what will happen, you know? That scene of when uh, Benny Safdie's character uh, 
does the calculations and he said and he says there's a chance that we could Burn light the up the atmosphere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like oh shit yeah uh, so when he tells good. uh when he tells the general yeah what do you mean there's a two percent chance <laughs> and, uh, the, the chance is almost zero <laughs> almost zero what do you want from theory alone <laughs> yeah and he oh man and his, <laughs> call him Murphy. Killian Murphy. Killian is, Murphy. This is, is this is still my perfect favorite performance of the year so far. It it is, it is something. It is yeah, crazy. He is so good. If he doesn't win best, uh, like leading man or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we haven't seen. You know, there's still plenty of movies to come out this year. But, but I mean, come I, on, how do you top tough. that? It's gonna be tough. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone should see this movie. I know it's long. Make your make your girlfriend, make your mom, make your dad, make your sister. <laughs> Your brother, oh, your dad will love Make your three year old watch this. This is definitely um, dads will love this movie. Dads will love this. Is the this is the mom sit and watch this? But I don't want it three hours. You know, like I couldn't imagine me and my sister watching this for three hours. She likes movies, but she would never <laughs> sit and watch this. You know, she yeah. might. Not, well, I doubt it though. It's definitely not her type of movie. This is my uh, dad would watch. I need to make my dad watch this actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, you want to get into ranking his movies? You're rushing me. Rushing? No, fine. We'll rank the movies. We've been talking for ten minutes. Well, how was long was your other half of the podcast? Oh, uh-huh. me and Jacob talked for like 50? I don't know. Oh, okay. So, like I, you know. The we can ma- only make the podcast. It's Carl and Gabe go to the movies, not Gabe and whoever his guest is go to the hey, movies. Hey, listen. If you wanted to be on the Barbie episode, you should have seen Barbie. Well, you called it the Barbie episode? No, it's it's. The I Bar- could have listened to your the, guys' opinion. It's the Barbenheimer episode. I think it was rude what you did, but I'm. it's fine. Well, what, what are you going to do? Yeah, I guess nothing. What do you want from theory alone? <laughs> You're, you're a real piece of work, Gabe. A real piece of work. All right. So you haven't seen... Well, we both haven't seen Insomnia. So Which is crazy because I own it. I just never... I, I own it on VHS, but I don't have a VHS player to <laughs> yeah. watch it. Uh, Insomnia, a uh, remake of a... Uh, I want to say Danish film. Um, yeah, we both haven't seen it. Uh, it has uh, moderate reviews. A lot of people you know, give it... Three out of five, two and a half out of five, um, Al Pacino. So I'm sure it's fine. Yeah. Um, but that'll be, I don't know, near the bottom. Would be near the bottom probably if we had seen it. And just a note, I haven't seen Memento. Yeah. Which I also own, which I have never watched. And then I semi-watched the following because yeah. you were watching so it. Follow- and I was doing other stuff. So but. I'm, I'm going to put following in 12th. And even though I haven't seen Insomnia, I'm going to put it in 11th because I'm assuming it's better than following. I do not like following. Okay. I think that it's it's Nolan. Um, we were talking about how he likes to remix this order of scenes. Um, in following, he does that, but it doesn't serve any purpose. The, he It's just like he's shot something and he's like, oh, this isn't very good. Maybe if I mix up the order of scenes, it'll like fake people out and they'll think that it has more depth than it does right but it's it's just not a very good movie in my opinion uh yeah i remember i kind of watched it off and on with you following and it just uh yeah it seemed kind of yeah i don't know it's interesting it was a student film it's interesting i I don't think it was wasn't a student film no uh it's interesting to check out um well it's his first i think right yeah his first movie and it's only bad. it's only like just over an hour long, so it's not like a huge time commitment mm-hmm. or anything. Um, so yeah, so I'm gonna. Slot but it definitely that in. it definitely has a lot of his 
you know, you can tell he's always been the same type of filmmaker because it also has those twists, right, at the yeah. end. It's like, who did, he did what and he did this and, oh, it was him all along kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's it's him. It, it's, it's what he ends up doing later in Memento. But much more but, complicated. But he does it so much better in Memento. It's kind of like, yeah, just like a, a rough... A trial run for the, the things he eventually becomes really good at. Yeah. Um, number ten. Do you have a? a well, again, I haven't seen Memento, so I don't know where you have that. I I have okay. to put those three either on the back or because I haven't seen Memento. Them. Memento is gonna be a little bit higher up for me. I would nominate Batman Begins in this slot. Okay. My num. Well, I can start with nine. That's where I because I've seen nine of his. Okay. Sure. Where, so nine, nine is tenant for me. Mm. I like Tenet a lot more than I like both Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins, but I haven't seen Batman Begins in quite a while, so I I, I might I might enjoy it more uh, on rewatch. But but what's funny to me is like putting Tenet a nine to me is like oh he doesn't like Tenet, but I'm like that's so not true. I like Tenet. Tenet. I like Tenet a lot. Tenet is him kind of giving into his instincts to make something as complicated as possible but i just felt like it's not rewatchable for me i i've never really wanted to rewatch it i've watched it four times and just because to me it's like just mindless good fun a little bit it's just like a lot of explosions and like dudes fighting each other while one of them goes backwards in time yeah it's really cool in time again it's number nine on my list but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie like all his movies to me are like four stars mm-hmm. pretty much or higher. So he, I have like two, two or three of his movies for me are five stars. And yeah. then all the rest of his, I don't think I have a single movie of his that I've seen that's under four. Mm. So, I mean, it's still a really good movie, but it's hard to rank such a good, like they're all so good. But anyway, nine for me is tenant. Okay. I have tenant. I have tenant at eight. Okay. So we're not that far apart on yeah. tenant. Okay. So well, what's your, what's your nine? Uh, Dark Knight rises. I have, Batman Begins at 10 and Dark Knight Rises at 9. So I have Dark Knight Rises at 5 and Batman Begins at 7. Okay, so we can go with 10. At, here, I should be writing this down. Yeah. We sh- we can go uh, 10 at 9. Oh, and at I have nine. 8 That's is Dunkirk. Oh, I highly disagree with that. Yeah, you probably have it high up, right? I have it very high up. I'm, I, I, I'm not actually... I'm okay. Like, Dunkirk, I'm really torn on. I have it at eight because I didn't really know where else to put it because I really have a connection. I, and I don't even think, I know it's hard because some of his movies, they're so different, right? Some of, I, I like to make movies about how, like in terms of rankings like this, how, how often I rewatch them. That's why my number one will be probably surprising to you or maybe not surprising to you, but it's definitely not a uh, dark Knight, which is funny because I always thought that was my favorite of his mm. movies. But when I really think about it, it's not. It's it's my second favorite of his movies. But I'm okay with keeping Dunkirk if 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 you want to uh I am gonna fight for Dunkirk because yeah, I you think can, I think it's I think you it's can move really it up. good. I'm I think it's really good Dun- too. Dunkirk is amazing. It's one of the the best war movies of the last twenty twenty years or so. I had it I had it as high as five and back down to eight. So I mean really to me, it can be anywhere in that in that I don't think it's significantly better or worse than Batman Begins or Dark Knight Rises. Where do you have Batman Begins? Uh, seven, right after. Okay, so we can slot in Batman Begins here because we both have it. Okay, so we'll put that at eight. On his list. 
So, so what's nine? So nine, we're going Batman Begins. Sure. Batman Begins at nine. All right. And eight. Um, I'm cool with slotting a memento here. I have memento at number seven. Okay. But I, I don't know. I, 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 but I bet it would be there on, around that. For Memento's me. a, a very good movie. Um, Were we putting Tenet? We put Tenet at number 10. We put Tenet at 10. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's what I mean. where you put it. I put it at nine. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, Oppenheimer. I mean, okay. Let me. Okay, so we have. So we've rated Dunkirk. I'm leaving alone for now. Batman Begins. Senate. So my next is six, and that's Oppenheimer. But I'm okay with putting The Dark Knight Rises uh, below Oppen- so Oppenheimer. Seven, so like, seven Dark Knight Rises. Sure. Okay, that's fine with me. We can compromise on that. Because I, I I enjoy Dark Knight Rises. It's it's really Dark close. Knight Rises is, um, I think it gets made fun of a lot, because uh, there is a lot of meme worthy stuff going on in it. But it's a very enjoyable film. I find. I don't know what's quite going on with Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Um, <laughs> She's kind of just thrown in there randomly. Yeah. And there's like weird, like the football field scene is like really weird and like a little bit corny too but i uh i really enjoy bane bane is very funny and also i don't know just a good villain yeah he is yeah he's interesting it's like how do you do bane when like the batman cartoons and and you know um comic books make him such an outlandish character how do you make him like grounded in that universe (laughs) and i still don't understand why he needs a breathing mask but whatever (laughs) you know he has one he can't breathe he's got severe asthma (laughs) <laughs> whatever it is who installed that for him i also don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the i don't know it's just such a quotable movie like yeah. i was born in the darkness yeah yeah, yeah. Like just uh it's so good um i like to say here i think the prestige oh see I will fight tooth and nail. Prestige is my number one. Oh, really? I oh, absolutely. It's one of my. I actually I watched it a long time ago. Whenever it was basically a new movie, and I at that time I didn't even really know who Christopher Nolan was. Like you mm-hmm. know, he wasn't quite what he is today. And I love that movie. It took me like it, it was years later when I rewatched it. I was like, wait, this is after like uh, Dark Knight had already come out. Mm-hmm. I realized that Prestige was Christopher Nolan, and I. But I've rewatched the Prestige like. I th- I'm on, I'm pretty sure seven or eight nine times at this point. Um. Okay. So what what do we have? We can do Interstellar there, or we can put Inception there. I don't. I. It, I'm. You know, like if we if God, we put this gets really tough at this if we point. put Prestige there, then Dunkirk comes either right before or right after, because there's no way I'm letting you put Dunkirk from my seven to one or something, and then my number one like seven. Yeah. So we have just my top six left here. Okay, I don't know. Is do, this agreeable? We is can do a... we can do Interstellar here. I'm fine with that. I okay, have Interstellar then, at number five. So I have cool Interstellar with, at four. So I'm cool with it being at number six on our list. Okay, because I'm losing two point. Yeah, because I I have it at four. So okay, I really enjoy Interstellar. I, I think it's one of more his more creative and interesting takes. Interstellar looks like it cost a. This is my. This is the thing I say about it. It looks like it cost two billion dollars to make. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's crazy. Yeah, it looks so good. It's so well done. I don't know how you film that movie with minimal uh, 
special effects, like minimal, you know, it's, CGI. It looks so good, the entire thing. Um, all the performances are pretty on point. Yeah. Uh, one of McConaughey's best performances of his career, for sure. But it's also interesting, and like, because a lot of people theorize that, like, you know, one day we will contact ourselves. Mm. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll reach back to the past. And like that movie's all about how like humans did do that. We transcended or whatever you want to. I think it's a really cool take. The whole him in like that black hole and those books and all that, that's yeah. all like that's crazy. Yeah. It's such a crazy theoretical film that. And like even physicists are like, he really has a good grasp of physics. Cause like, <laughs> and like the time jump between like them being on that planet because it's gravitational yeah. pull. I know it's it's a really I crazy. Love, I love that scene when they get back to the ship and there's like. 20 years of messages yeah. from Timothy Chalamet and Amy <laughs> Adams. And they're just like, dad, dad, why won't you answer our messages? And he's sitting there and he's laughing and crying. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The memories that he missed out on. It's, it's really good scene. Yeah. Hey, talking about what? Isn't that the, Oh no, that's a still from wings of desire. Isn't that the actor? Which, the one actor there? No. Oh no. Which actually wings of desire uh, me and Jacob mentioned it on the uh, Barbie podcast. Oh, yeah? So if you just skipped ahead to this part for some reason, uh, jump, jump back and listen Somehow to we've gotten back to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we we agreed to put Interstellar there. Now it gets tough. It gets really tough. Okay, so we if, have, you, if we, you put Dunkirk next. We have left. We have, we have uh, Inception, The Prestige, Dunkirk. The Dark Knight and Oppenheimer. I'm okay with Oppenheimer being here. Or I Dunkirk. Gotta, I got to fight for Oppenheimer to be higher. Okay, so well, do you want to put Dunkirk next? And then I'll, I'll For me, it's either Dunkirk or Interstellar here. Well, we already put Interstellar. Oh, sorry. I meant Inception. Sorry. Okay, well, why don't we do... Dunkirk uh, or Inception here? Oh, let's do Inception then. Okay, I'm Because cool I have Inception that. at three. In Inception at number five. Yeah, I have, in, I have Inception at three. I just want I just need Prestige to be high. I don't care where you put Dunkirk as long as Prestige is higher than five. It's definitely his top three. I'll, if we can put uh, Prestige at three, <laughs> then I'll let you put Oppenheimer Dunkirk wherever you want. Okay, that's fine with me. Is that me. fine? Okay. So what do we have left? We have got Oppenheimer, Dark Knight, Dunkirk, and The Prestige. Yeah. Are we, are I'm we cool with putting Dunkirk here. Okay. That's fine with me since you want to fight for the prestige so hard. Um, yeah, Dunkirk, what an amazing film. It's a little bit, it feels a lot different than a lot of his other movies. It's a movie basically about being trapped. Yeah. Um, you know, Harry Styles, not sorry, and uh, who, el who else is the uh, leads of Dunkirk? Ken Murphy. Yeah. Kelly Murphy. Um anyway, it's just yeah. about it's just about these soldiers and they're desperately trying to escape. It's also ultra realistic. Yeah. They're 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 trapped on this uh, in this beach in Dunkirk and they're trying to get off the beach and everywhere they they're not only just trapped on this beach, everywhere they go, they get trapped in a different scenario. Yeah. Yeah, it's always being trapped trapped, whether it's trapped yeah. in the ocean, trapped on a boat, trapped yeah, sinking, trapped in a plane, trapped under fire from Nazi the Nazis yeah. like it's yeah. It's just that a feeling of being stuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
it's it's really it's really, really tense the time and a time jumping in this movie where uh it, it seemed like it it's similar um what was i gonna say it's just funny because you, you rewatch a little a lot of scenes from a different perspective which is really interesting so you'll watch you know you'll watch the the pilot get stuck in his plane from the other pilot's perspective you'll watch the boat sinking from one of the uh, british people coming to rescue the soldiers mm-hmm. perspective then you'll see the you know, and uh, you see everything from w- so many different vantage points. Um, it's super well done. Yeah. And you don't really get lost either. Again, he's just a master yeah. at that. Because, like, yeah. if I made that, it would be such a mess. You know what I mean? You <laughs> yeah. would know where you are no, or what you're doing. Definitely, it's a lot, yeah. a lot of management of uh, scenes. Um, and just an amazing score by Hans Zimmer. Too. Oh, Hans Zimmer, yeah. Adds so much to the tension, which yeah. there's already so much tension. It's the only then, one, I think this is the one you really should have watched in IMAX, and it's the only one you didn't I know, watch I, I, I was saving it for so long. I was like, I want to see it in IMAX. I need those, to see it in IMAX. In IMAX, the uh, where the planes were coming. Yeah. And it was oh, terrifying. I it was so loud. Oh, yeah. that, 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 it's so loud. It really, blo- like, it makes your whole body go, whoa. Yeah. Like, that whole, mo- like, and it, you feel like what the soldiers must have been feeling where it's like, they're no, like, this, like, these guys are coming. They're going to, you know, mm-hmm. take us out. Yeah. It's I, terrifying. I, I, I would, uh, I would love to see it in theater. Hopefully it'll play at, uh, you know, uh, and they renovate the Cinesphere. I know. I'm really hoping that they'll bring it back. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I'm hoping that that's not a permanent closure. So They're that's that, that wait. So back. that that's Dunkirk at four. At four, yeah. So then okay. So then we can do Prestige at three, which you're watching today, which is funny. Yeah. But uh, you reminded me of why I love this movie so much. There's so many. Also, so many quotable moments. Um, this is Nolan at his best in terms of twists and like. It is a really good twist. It is such a good twist. It's because it's, it's such you, a good twist that I hadn't seen this movie in like 15 years probably, and I. It was like the first thing like that I remembered as soon as I put on the movie. I was yeah. like, oh, I remember the twist of this movie because it's, yeah. it's so memorable that you can't yeah. possibly And it definitely goes it. to darker areas than you could imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like for when sure. a guy killing himself over and over and over again. Yeah. Just to best another guy in his profession. <laughs> and like and like the wild fight between like one moment you're you feel more close to the one character and then all of a sudden the next moment. You hate that character more yeah. than the other one, and then you're constantly switching allegiance to which character you want to see succeed. Really, in the end, <laughs> and it's, it's such a good movie about like motivation and what it takes to really get to the top, and mm-hmm. what are you willing to sacrifice, and, you know? And it's just one of the great rivalry movies. Oh too, yeah, just, yeah. Just uh, you know, yeah. As and great said, acting too. As you said, people destroying their own lives just to yeah. one up their rival. You know, letting their wives commit suicide just so they don't reveal their secret. <laughs> <laughs> You know, crazy. All right, so we got two movies left now, which are my favorite two Nolan movies. We've got Oppenheimer and The Dark Knight. Well, okay. Well, let's just. I'm. I'm going to throw this out there. I don't love. A, I should say I love Oppenheimer, but it's much higher than I had it. So I and then I love The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm. I'm saying like everybody usually agrees The Dark Knight number one and then Oppenheimer two. Are you willing to? You I'm can't a, think I'm Oppenheimer's ca- number I'm one. I'm willing to concede that Oppenheimer is my favorite Nolan movie so far. Um, really? See, I didn't think you'd like it that much. Both Oppenheimer and The Dark Knight are five star movies for me. Yeah, Dark Knight's five they star are, for they me. They are my favorite. Uh, I'm okay with Oppenheimer movies. being number two. You know, the thing is, I need to. I've only watched Oppenheimer once. Mm-hmm. And it's a long movie, and I was in a really packed theater, and the girl sitting next to me was squirmy and moving every five minutes, and she kept talking to her boyfriend <laughs> about how much she wished she was seeing Barbie instead. And I think it pulled me out of the movie a little bit. I felt like I was distracted a lot of the movie. 
See, that guy messed up because it, you know, you can take take your girlfriend to see, you know, but, Oppenheimer, yeah. but. But see, if she wants to see Barbie, you go, go take see her Barbie. Barbie. Anyway, but you know what I'm saying? When and you're then in a you movie, go see Oppenheimer the next time. But you know time. what I'm saying? When you're in a movie theater where like people are kind of like not super in, like, yeah. like the people sitting next to me on both sides of me were kind of not super, like they, I wouldn't say they weren't in, I don't know if they were in it or not. I can't speak for them, but they were definitely talk a little bit, you know, and they kept pulling me out of the experience. So hmm. I suspect if I were to rewatch it by myself or in the house or something, I might like it even more and i already really liked it so uh, i'm willing to concede that it could be too because it could grow on my list i mean mm. prestige grew every time i rewatch i love that movie more and more so yeah all right so we'll go the dark knight at number one the probably in my opinion the greatest superhero movie ever made yeah edit well arguably it's not even arguable it I, is by far some people would argue for one of the spider-verse movies maybe mm. I don't think um, so. I think it's like the. the I mean, a, a, we, what hasn't been said about the Dark Knight that we could add? But I mean, it's it's the most gritty, realistic take on. It's a essentially superhero. a movie about domestic terrorism. Really, it's, <laughs> it's, it's as much that as it is a superhero movie. Really, yeah. And I think it's just it's super ultra real. It's it, it's it's so realistic that you can almost imagine Batman existing. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And I'm, well, I mean, it's not super real, <laughs> but it's realistic enough, and it's gritty, and it's. And I mean. One of the greatest acting performances ever. From Heath Ledger? Yeah. Yeah. As a Joker. I mean, I know it's overplayed now and it's kind of cringy now. Yeah. Because there's so many weird losers and people who, you know, try to act like the Joker. It's just annoying yeah. at this point. But like, take away all that. And if you remember that time when that movie came out, that role that was like, I, I, when I left that theater, I remember not, I don't, to this day, I don't remember leaving a movie when I left that movie, like the impact that movie had on not just me, but everybody I went to see it with <laughs> and, and the, and the discourse as a whole yeah, is similar to Barbie. I would say at that time, that movie and it exploded. Remember it started out slow and then it just exploded. People, would, it was like packed theaters for months. Mm -hmm. That was like a, that was a real historical moment in film. Well, interestingly enough, Oppenheimer has now made more money than, than Barbie. Then no, than. Dark Knight? Then the Dark Knight. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, but then again, inflation, right? Inflation, and also Oppenheimer has played really well on the, uh, the I don't know what you call it. The International stage? No, on, on IMAX screens, oh. which is an increased price, right? You, It's a pr premium premium screens, right? Premium prices. The, 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 the IMAX <laughs> screens, the uh, ultra, your... ultra AVX screens. The IMAX is, is $7.99 for $9.99 your premium prices here let me let me look it up christopher nolan box office oh maybe it hasn't surpassed the dark knight yet it's getting very close though how much is the dark knight number one uh the dark knight rises is number one uh it yeah because i was there was so much anticipation uh, for just dark over a billion dollars uh the dark knight also just over a billion um yeah but uh I think uh, Oppenheimer is projected to uh, pass, surpass, surpass. But you gotta, you gotta, but yeah. But when you look at at the timing and cost of tickets and inflation and all that, Dark Knight rises and um, Dark Knight probably make more as a whole if you were to take today their money. Because what Dark Knight came out what twenty two thousand and nine. But I think also if you think about it in another way, it's like Oppenheimer versus Batman. I mean, more people are going to see Batman, right? 
Yeah, but I'm, uh, I, not many, apparently. <laughs> no, and I, you know, it's a good thing, though, because we need more movies like Oppenheimer to do well, because we need... And I'm really excited for Napoleon to come out. Yeah. Like, I think, I think I'm happy that these... Because, like, we haven't had stuff like that come out in a while. Like, we, you know, good biographical movies that are historically accurate. I mean, I don't know how accurate Napoleon will be. Probably won't be very Yeah, accurate. we'll see. Ridley Scott's been... <laughs> but Ridley Scott makes pretty gritty, realistic movies, too. Yeah, but he's taken a lot of liberties with the, uh, yeah. the facts well, in the past. And there's no, a lot of room in the, in the Napoleon story for taking for, liberties with the facts. What is it called when you, like... Uh, make someone like a god almost. Uh, yeah, well, mythicizing, mythicizing. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon did that. But too that's him. what he is like, though. What? That's what makes him special as a per as a yes, as like a he fi- was, circle he was, figure. Yeah, he was very much so. One, he was very good at propaganda to you know aggrandize himself, and also there was a lot of anti-Napoleon propaganda. You know, yeah, like he's short from the British, yeah. right? And so there's you know. A lot of what the cult, what people know culturally about Napoleon, <laughs> it's, n- it's you know, it's either highly exaggerated one way or the other, right? Yeah, which is really cool though, which I love. You gotta love about that guy. Like, yeah. what a historical figure! And I'm surprised there hasn't been like a really good uh, Bonaparte movie. There's some older ones. Yeah, and uh, and Kubrick really wanted to make one, um, but just it never worked out. You know, he couldn't get the budget to do it. Uh, yeah, and he made. Barry Lyndon. Oh, and I just watched which, that. I love that. Yeah, that I made you so watch good. that. You didn't make me watch it. I asked you if I could watch it. I was looking for. A, I was in the mood of oh, a historical movie. Oh yeah, you were movie. in the mood for historical. Yeah, and I was just like, and I was like looking through all these movies. I was like, is there nothing about Bonaparte that I could find? I was trying to watch Catherine. That uh, was a cat. No, no, Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't find a. Co- I, I couldn't rent it. I couldn't do anything. Oh yeah. And I was like, God, and I really. And then you're like, Well, I have Barry Lyndon. I was like, and I looked up the trailer. I was like, Yeah, I want to watch that. That looks really good. <laughs> Uh, that's it was really I, good. That's really one of my favorite it. favorite movies. Yeah, brilliant. I, I love how it went from hist- felt feeling super historically accurate to completely crazy. It's like some peasant <laughs> in a different like country understands English. It's like, what are we watching right now? <laughs> and like, no one's uh, bats an eye at a woman, married woman going after like a foreign soldier. Like, it's perfectly normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what a movie that is. Yeah, it's so good. All right, we've gone on long enough. Uh, so here we go. Actually, I should I should recap our list. Just even though you know I recapped it as we were doing it, just just for the final rankings. So for Christopher Nolan's rankings, we have twelve following, eleven Insomnia, even though we both haven't seen it. Ten, <laughs> Tenet, nine Batman Begins, eight Memento, seven The Dark Knight Rises, six Interstellar, five Inception, four Dunkirk, three The Prestige. Two, Oppenheimer. One, The Dark Knight. It's funny how different that is than my list, but you know what? It's I'm, much I'm different with... than my list, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all about compromise, and ultimately, all his movies are great, so it really doesn't matter. Yeah, check out, all check of out a movies, Christopher yeah. Nolan movie. You'll most likely enjoy it. Yeah. Or you'll be like, it was too complicated. I didn't like it. Yeah. Oh, God. So many people. <laughs> Inception is They're not, not compli- complicated, people. Just don't overthink it. Okay, well, the it. only one you can say is com- really complicated is, is uh, Tenet. Yes, and that one like, you'll never fully understand. I just don't it. get why people were so perplexed by Inception. What is so perplexing about There's Inception? There's nothing. Just think of it like they're riding an elevator down. Yeah, into the like deeper it's not that complicated. Dreams. Every it's, time they fall, they get put to sleep in one dream. They're in one level it's, deeper yeah. in dreams. Like it's and time slows down. It's not in the previous level. It's not that crazy. It's really not at all. I know, right? People act like that movie's like this map puzzle. I'm like, 
Everything is so clear Tenet, what's happening. Tenet legitimately is a puzzle. Tenet but, is ter- like but really confusing. He tells you at the beginning of the movie, the one character says, don't think about it, feel it. And then you just go, oh, okay, I'll, then, I just it, won't think about it. <laughs> and also just, I think a lot of people got annoyed with that movie about the dialogue issue. It's like you can't, you honestly can't understand half the time what the people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing that he started in Dunkirk too. Yeah, and- well... It's so funny. And then also with Bane and Batman, I guess. Too, I guess he just liked how that sounded. Yeah. And he was like, I'm going to do that for most of my life. Yeah, <laughs> he just likes when it's just like, yeah, it's not, it's not. The thing is that, you know, you're like, oh, I can't hear it. And it's like, well, then it was designed that way. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know, the dial. What uh, he exactly, wants the feelings of the of the visuals and the sound and the music to take yeah. over the dialogue. He's, he's yeah. not a very. That's one thing Christopher Nolan's not. It's not he's not a dialogue. No, no, he's not. Filmmaker. Which I love dialogue filmmakers, but I love, but he's more of a visual, more, you know, puzzle. Yeah. Well, more that's what was so complex. shocking about Oppenheimer to me. I was like, this is the best writing he's ever done. I wonder if he had co-wrote it. Was like someone helped him write it? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I didn't. I didn't look. Well, it was also based on a book. Yeah. It's one of his only movies that's based on like a. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so, like, he probably a lot of that is also just from the fact that someone rewrote his movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he was able to like. You yeah. Know, well, and there's like. You know, some of these things too, there's there's literal transcripts for Yeah, you know, like what they the, said. Yeah. <laughs> for what they said in court and stuff like that. So you can, you know, take the good bits of it yeah. and you know, add in the add in some A more. Young exciting. senator from <laughs> Kennedy. All right. All right. We'll wrap it up there. Okay. Carl, thanks for joining. See, we did just Why as do you much thank time. me for joining my own podcast? I didn't join you. You honestly just just change the name of the podcast to Gabe. Gabe, Gabe go- talks. Gabe goes to the movie. Gabe's, Gabe has opinions. You know, that's not a bad idea. Oh, I know. You would love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you again. Uh, probably, my guess would be in October. We'll probably talk uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower. Oh, Moon. yeah. I'm so excited for that. And um, and then Dune, Dune is pu- pushed Dune aside, unfortunately. Pushed. What Dune the hell, man? Um, but, and we'll probably talk Foe. Oh, and, and uh, Ferrari. Ferrari, that comes at Christmas. Yeah. Oh, it's way away. Okay, yeah, never mind. So I thought it was that's, sooner. That's a bit When's that? Yeah, there's a lot coming out, though. There's a lot of horror movies I want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to watch uh, Exorcist 2. We'll talk like, those. I'll talk about all the movies and I the saw. And The Nun, too. All the movies. I'm going to make Gabe watch The Nun. I won't be seeing The Nun, too. Why won't you? I won't be seeing The oh, Nun. Oh, you're such too. a baby. Yes, I am such a baby. <laughs> at least you admit it. Uh, I'll be talking about the all the movies that I saw at TIFF. Uh, oh, yeah. And we're going to see short movies. We're going to go see seven short films. Yeah, I'm excited for that. That should be fun. Yeah, that'll be a good time. All right. Uh, see you later. Bye. Bye.